Talk listeners, welcome back, welcome back. We are constantly having different discussions about different topics going on in the HR realm. Michelle, are we reorienting our people to each other or do we need to talk a little bit about onboarding and organizations? Like what's the scoop? One of the things that you and I constantly do and Keith, when he is on the podcast with us, is constantly questioning where we are and if it's right and if it needs to change. When it comes to learning, I don't even know that it's just about learning. It's also about impacting someone's behavior or actions. When it comes to that, I firmly believe that the things that people need to learn haven't changed. But the truth is the way people learn has changed. It changed before a global pandemic. There were still businesses and people that kind of got to ride the fence and argue their point before COVID-19. And it really had nothing to do with the virus. It was what that virus created in society that sort of pushed people off of the fence. So all those people that were on the fence that were like, maybe people can work from home or maybe people can learn without being face-to-face with an instructor. Maybe there is a way to coach someone on the phone instead of meeting for 30 minutes um, for one-on-one. All those people that were like, maybe it would work. The nature of the pandemic, particularly in the beginning, forced that separation and it sort of forced people to look at it in a different way. Are you saying there are new adult learning theory concepts that people have not been using? I'm sure people are thinking about that right this very second as you're saying that. They probably are. They're probably thinking, you're telling me learning has changed. The way you learn has changed. So I'm a firm believer that you can break learning down to the very simple tell, show, do. I think if you complicate it more than that, then you're just trying to justify your position by making things too complicated for other people to understand. There's always been web-based trainings, instructor-led trainings, or WBTs, ILTs, and E-rights. E-learnings. So there's always been those principles on different theories. Are you saying not like more people were more focused in the past of in-person instructor-led as opposed to web-based instructor-led? Absolutely. There are still significant people who believe, and you've heard it multiple times where, and I've even heard it with people I work with, where they will say, Virtual learning is great unless it's a soft skill. And those are better face-to-face. But are they? And I think going back to kind of like society has changed that. I will continue to use this until something in society makes me provide a different example. People learn through five-minute YouTube videos today. They learn how to do anything that needs to be done. Like you Google it. Maria, you and I went to a conference once where one of the speakers at the conference 
said straight out, she was like, don't know how to do it. Google it. Somebody else has already figured it out and broken it down. And they are willing to teach you how to do it if you'll just Google it. And so we're part of a world where people have started using social media as a learning platform, as well as just an entertainment. So my generation, what was that social media platform before Facebook? MySpace. MySpace. That was it. I had a MySpace account for like a day before it became unpopular. We use, we being me, use social media for entertainment purposes or gossipy purposes or following up purposes. But I even remember YouTube in the very beginning for me, I pretty much ignored it until I realized it wasn't just entertainment videos or someone doing something weird like hold my beer kind of weird stuff, right? That entertain you. And you start to notice that there's some educational stuff out there. And they don't brand it with the phrase educational. They brand it with things like, I figured out how to clean my sink drain. Or, oh my God, my sink is gross. It's never marketed as, I'm teaching you. But those are the things that people go to when they want to learn stuff. The other thing that that outlet has provided for the world is not just the concept that they can consume information in small amounts and still be effective, but it's also taught them that on-demand is critical. Nobody except a plumber gives a crap how to change or clean your drain until your drain is stopped up. And then suddenly you want to know how to fix it. And so taking those things that people have learned about how they prefer to take in their information and applying it to a learning situation helps us use what they're already already comfortable with. Last kind of thought, and I just want to reiterate the fact that we're trying to use what they are already comfortable with. I worked for an organization once which was one of the first retail establishments that used credit cards in a similar way to gas stations where you could put in your card, pay for your thing and walk away. And I don't mean like a self-checkout. It was like you could put in your card, you do your activity. I worked at FedEx office, so it was making copies. You make your copies, then you take your credit card out and you pay your bill. And it was so hard for the customers to adopt that concept because why would I give you my money until you give me my stuff? It was just really hard. But the minute we were able to compare it to a gas pump and we'd be like, have you ever paid at the pump? And they're like, yeah, why would I go inside? And I'm like, yeah, why would you talk to me? And so the minute you can take learning And you can start to apply it the way they like it. They are more likely to participate. Yeah. So there's five things for us to consider through onboarding and teaching and having people learn through the organization and how things function within the department. Particularly, I would say today with the changes in technology, 
with the changes in the workforce and with the demands that we're seeing from applicants that sort of say companies are either going to have to step up or they're going to lose it. So these are definitely five things that you need to consider. First, and it is one that Maria and I will talk about until the end of the time. And if you haven't figured out that remote or hybrid work is effective, you need to figure it out or you will start to lose potential talent. But that's the first thing that I want you to pre-think about before you even start designing the content for your onboarding. You need to solve right now, what will it look like? Is your workforce hybrid? Half of them come into a building. I think companies are still trying to determine this, to be honest with you which I don't know why we're two years in. It's kind of like shit or get off a pot kind of a decision. Oh my God, did you just cast before me? I'm so excited. I love when that happens. I agree with you. I think we talked about this a year ago. I think we were talking about this with AJ a year ago. Remember, we were like, if you are still brainstorming about COVID-19 and what it did to your company, It's too late. You need to stop and pack it up. So yes, I agree with you, but it is something you've got to address. Are we going to have half of our audience in a building and half of our audience on a computer? In which case, I would say that your entire audience needs to be on a computer. There is nothing worse than having 10 people in one room and four people on a computer. It can work if you have an effective media room. But my guess is, since you can't even decide if you're going to be hybrid or not, that you do not have an effective media setup for your conference. We all remember pre-COVID days when you were the one person that was dialing in and you were not in the room and people were having so many different conversations. You had no idea what was being said. I don't think that concept changes. It doesn't. And we need to think about that in the onboarding process. But particularly what you need to consider with hybrid or remote work are the people that are remote specifically. As it relates to culture, how are you fully integrating them to understand the culture of your company? Another big, big challenge when it comes to someone who is going to onboard remotely is connection. And connection isn't just about connection to your boss or your supervisor. It's how do you build great teamwork? How do you get your new employee to feel comfortable within that team, but also within the surrounding teams that they have to work with in order to do their job effectively. And so when you look at orientation and onboarding for new employees, you've got to come up with some creative ways to address those. One of the most common ones that we're seeing right now are actual welcome kits. And I don't mean a packet you hand to someone on their first day. And it could just be, I'm not saying you got to give them hoodies and Yeti cups that are branded. I'm not saying that it's about spending a ton of money, but it is about getting them a tangible item. C 
sent in the mail to their house that has paperwork on who you are, that maybe some printouts of your brand guide. And when I say brand, I mean your vision, your mission, etc. You have a brand guide. If you don't, give us a call. We'll help you. It might have branded merchandise in it, but it's not just about the branded merchandise. Sometimes it's just about making people feel welcome. None of us like the idea of snail mail anymore because it's so much easier with email or texting. However, remember, the goal is making these folks feel connected to your culture. And so snail mail might be your way to go. It may feel very 1990s, but what it does is it puts a personal spin on getting communication in front of them that an email will not do. And so since you're not going to have the handshake and the eye-to-eye contact, you're not going to be able to go meet over lunch because they work in another time zone. This ups the personality of what you're doing. With connections, some of the things that I have seen that have been really good is creating planned and pre-scheduled one-on-ones. And those one-on-ones should be early, particularly with your supervisor and your team. But those one-on-ones should extend beyond your supervisor. Schedule one-on-ones with the people on their team where you just chat. Some of them have an agenda. Some of them don't have an agenda. And that's okay. Some of them, just give them a couple of get to know you questions like, what are the things that you love about your job? What are the projects that really interest you? It's uncomfortable to meet someone for some folks. Marie, you know me. It's going to take me more than a minute to tell you about my personal life, but I will talk to you all day about the work things that make me happy. And I'll feel like I'm connecting with you. It doesn't mean we've got to jump to what's your favorite color? Where'd you go to school? How many kids do you have? Pet, cat, or dog? It's not that. It's really just about getting them to talk about what makes them tick. Okay, so now you've thought about what your workforce looks like and you've addressed some of those issues. The next thing you're going to think about is how you truly integrate the idea of inclusion from the very beginning. Oh man, and I, this topic again, it never leaves, huh? I wish more than anything in the world, I never had to use that phrase ever again. But the only way it's going to go lay is if it actually happens. I like Nike, just do it. Just do it. It's kind of like you said, either shit or get off the pot, people. (laughs) Already. Holy crap, why are we still arguing this. I know. Sorry. We went beard off. However, yes, the E&I, second step in the concept. Let's talk about it, Michelle. Yeah. And so particularly, I want to focus on the inclusion part of the E&I. The government cares that you have some actual diversity numbers. Marie and I care that all of the people in your organization are included and treated equally. So the E&I part of it all. So those are the pieces that you will hear us talking about a lot. And 
prior to hire during the recruiting process should be where you're starting to infuse inclusion. And I mean, even up to and including what's being parsed in your ATS when it parses resumes and what kind of language it's looking for can trip you, whether you realize it or not, into being a less inclusive organization. So really looking at everything from the submission during the application process all the way through the interview process, they should already start to learn about your culture, which includes, and if it doesn't include DEI, it should be your culture. And if it doesn't include it, please start weaving it through all of that. But orientation and onboarding, it's really kind of that first formal piece where we said, now you're part of us. Let's really dig into what that means. And so during onboarding, you want to make sure that you have included as a part of your onboarding process a DNI program. It should be for every single employee in your organization. And yes, you buy a ton of them off the shelf. They're very generic, but you need to make it about your company. We had a guest, Nikki, talk about how DNI should be a part of your mission and vision. And if it's not woven as far back as your mission, your vision, and your purpose, that you're missing out on making it a true part of your culture. Even if you go with an off-the-shelf DEI course, see if that company can customize it for you so that you can actually use examples of how it applies in your organization. Talk to them about internal forums. Talk to them about employee resource groups. Invite them to join them from the very beginning. Let them know what that means and how your organization celebrates diversity and inclusion through special events. Make sure that you go ahead and link them or find a way to connect them to the resources within your company that support DEI opportunities. Get people a mentor, particularly when you are bringing in folks that you know will have a trajectory of growth within your organization. What you want to do out of the gate is make sure that they're assigned a mentor who can help advocate for them throughout this process. Share your company's vocabulary. Many of us have our lingo or our acronyms. In fact, I don't think I've ever built a training program that didn't start with a discussion about what acronym was going to be used for the training program, which is crazy, but people do it naturally. And so organizations start doing it. So you want to make sure that you share that with people right away so that when they're hearing conversations, they feel comfortable with what they're hearing. And then the last thing that I would suggest when it comes to inclusion, where you can start out right away, is to personalize the experience for each person. And I'm not suggesting that your HR team or your learning and development team sit down with every single new hire 
and write a different curriculum for every single day. But there are places throughout an onboarding process where you can customize what each person goes through. It could be giving them a list of potential contacts within the organization and then let them choose between that list based on interest that they have or people that they think could support them. I had a mentor tell me once, never do for the learner what they can do for themselves because people want to do things for themselves. Building that personalization might be just giving them a list of resources and saying in the next week before your one-on-one with your supervisor, pick one of these things to dig in and attend a meeting. Talk about what you learned in the meeting, how you contributed, and how it might have helped you to feel more comfortable with the company. So whatever it is, just have a master list of what's going on and let your folks pick what is most appropriate for them in their career. People are smart. They can figure it out. Totally. They can definitely figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) The next one's going to give people some heartburn, Maria. You ready? I'm ready. Longer onboarding. Oh, yeah. I don't know how people are going to feel about that. I think people see onboarding as like their first or second week, maybe a couple of days. You're absolutely right. In fact, there is a very common question for anyone that has ever designed onboarding, and it is, can we do it faster? How do we get people up to date as fast as possible? And you know what? Here's the cool thing about learning. And until you as an organization decide to listen to the advice of your learning and development team, you're never going to have this come to fruition. I'm telling you, listen to their advice. If you had a 90-day onboarding program with shorter sprints of time that was targeted for what they were hired for, the position they were hired for, And remember, go back to that. I said personalization, right? 90 days, shorter sprints. They will get up to speed faster and they will stay longer. Current studies show that a 90-day onboarding program significantly lowers turnover rates. We talked about it in the first onboarding episode. We will talk about it forever. When people quit in the first 90 days, There really truly is a handful of reasons. And yes, there will always be anomalies where somebody goes, somebody offered me more money. Yeah, right. We know anomalies happen, but there are some pretty consistent reasons that people leave in the first 90 days. And a lot of them boil down to expectations, inappropriate fit, whether it's the culture or the team. And the last thing being a lack of connection or belonging within the organization. And what we're suggesting is that you use that 90 days with some structured, regular check-ins with supervisors to continue a method of building connection, building culture, making sure things are clarified, and slowly getting them to develop the relationships that they need to be successful long-term. Now, 
we're also not talking about the training the way you do it. So Maria, you talked about how like a lot of organizations onboarding is maybe a week. For some, it's maybe a few days. But in almost every one of those cases, it's every minute of those days. So for organizations that do week-long onboarding, it's usually a 48 or a 40 hour. You're just stacking it on. You're like, you know what? Let's just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> like y'all got to work 50 hours a week. What's the problem? But it's usually 40 hours worth of training. We're not suggesting that you have 80 hours worth of training. We're suggesting that you are smarter about the 40 hours you do have and that you weave that through great conversations. You weave it through interactions with others. You weave it through actual work. I would like to call this creating activities in the flow of work. And as a result of doing it, I'm willing to bet you can get them some competence on a number of activities within that same time period that you're getting now, if not sooner, you slowly integrate more activities, slowly back off on the onboarding. And then 90 days from now, they're on fire and they're ready to go. So we're not talking about 90 days of training. We're talking about 40 hours of training or whatever it needs to be for your company. 40 hours of training spread throughout 90 days with reoccurring check-ins where we can make sure they're getting what they need. I think that's a new concept that people are, man, we're going to have to dig into this one a little later. I think we could. I'm totally all of that. I know. People are going to be like, what are we going for? Like, I need a play-by-play. I don't know. I was actually talking to someone last week who is in the world of creating short learning elements or small learning elements, short's the right word. And we were talking about how in the world of learning and development, no one can truly agree on a few terms and micro learning being one of them that no one agrees. So I'm going to use a few terms and we're going to give you the real talent definition of these terms. It will be very similar to other people's definitions. We've just decided this is the version that we're going with instead of arguing about a definition. Okay, so the first one I want to talk about is blended curriculum. So when we say blended curriculum, what we're talking about specifically is that you are willing to look at every delivery modality and multiple modalities might be used to teach one thing depending on the thing that you are teaching. Now, I want to pause a minute because I did say multiple modalities. We don't pick a modality just because we're like, hey, that's cool, let's include a video. We pick the modality based on the best way to train it. Some activities, you need to do the thing in order to truly remember it. And so... We're not going to pick a video when an on-the-job activity is more appropriate for the learner to retain the learning. We're not going to pick a face-to-face classroom just because it makes people feel good to sit in one room together. However, we might choose a face-to-face classroom because 
it allows a facilitator to do some hands-on practicing in a safe environment versus in the job environment. We might choose a virtual live environment where we want a facilitator to be able to interact and question the learner to make sure they retain the learning. So when we say blended curriculum or blended, what we mean is using multiple modalities to teach one concept. Now, micro learning, I'm not going to put a time limit on it. I am going to tell you that I get bored with anything after 10 minutes. So I try to keep my clips pretty short when it comes to micro learning pieces. But typically, when people hear micro learning, they think something that can be done in 30 minutes or less. What I would tell you is a 30 minute e learning is a nightmare that you never even need to consider. It is better to break a 30-minute video into three 10-minute learning elements than it is to have one 30-minute video. Because after about 10 minutes, like me, half the world's going to check out. They're not going to remember it anyway. Also, the last thing I want to talk about is on demand. And we used this term earlier in this particular episode. And when we're saying on demand, we do mean the convenience of a phone or a computer or a tablet. Yes, that's part of it. But we also mean any time when the learner thinks it is more appropriate. We talk to leaders about this a lot. We always tell leaders, if an employee comes to you with a question or concern, if at all possible, address it right there. Because when people come to you with an interest, they are keen to listen and have a conversation. And the same thing applies to learning. When someone comes looking for learning, they are more likely to retain the learning. And the last piece that we really think is important when it comes to learning curriculums is self-paced. And again, this is one of those that we're going to be really clear on what we believe with self-paced. We don't even necessarily mean that they can go as fast or as slow as they want to, even though that is part of it. We also mean they could move around if they want to. If someone decides watching a video before they do it, it's better for their learning style, then let them watch the video first. It also allows people to repeat lessons or even jump through lessons that they don't need. There is nothing worse in the world than you forcing someone to sit through a training that they do not need help training. I actually remember starting with an organization, and I'm sure they were just trying to be thorough. I have no doubt it was coming from a good place for the person that was doing it. So if you happen to be listening to this, I'm not bashing you for doing this. I'm just sharing my perspective. I was asked during a technology onboarding, during the onboarding of my technology, specifically my computer. By the way, it's 2020. Computers are not odd. And 
I've had one in my career for at least 20 years up until that point, actually longer than that, because I've come from printing and graphic design. So I've been on computers for a chunk of my life. And she started with a great question. She said, how comfortable are you with Microsoft products? And I said, very comfortable. I said, as a side note, I like Adobe products more. And that's the design part of my background. They give me more flexibility in what I'm trying to do. I said, so I prefer Adobe products, but yes, I'm very comfortable with Microsoft products. And she goes, great, that's good to know. And then she spent the next 45 minutes telling me how to access all of the Microsoft programs and how to use them. I didn't want to be a jerk, so I didn't tell her to shut up. The entire time I was thinking, I will never get that 45 minutes of my life back. I was using Microsoft Excel products before you were even born, lady. I don't need you to tell me this. And so when we say self-paced, that's really what we're talking about. We're saying that between the learner and the manager and those reoccurring one-on-ones, that they can start making intelligent decisions about how quickly they go through stuff. Maybe there's quiz or test out options for certain topics that allow them to spend their learning in the places that they need to versus spending their learning in your timeline that was designed generically. In reality, the concept of going through repetitive learning is sometimes needed, which is interesting because like you have your sexual harassment prevention annual or biannual training that you have to do. And it's just so funny because you go through it every time you're like, ugh, two hours of my life wasted. I know not to do this. (laughs) But... I understand the concept of it because I'm an HR and I see it way too often. However, yeah, I think all of these are really good. Michelle, what are the listeners going to expect in the next episode of the series? We're going to give you seven pieces or building blocks or what we call the seven foundational steps to building an onboarding program. And it'll break it down step by step and we'll give you a few tips in each of those steps. All right. Well, more onboarding discussions. I can't wait because there are certain areas here that are a little bit controversial in the workforce and we're going to talk about them too. So stay tuned, everyone. Until next time, take care. Bye, y'all. 